Hi, this is Herb Kressel, and welcome to the September uh, 2014 Radiology Podcast. Uh, this morning we have a, a very interesting manuscript uh, to discuss, and I'm joined by uh, uh, Cornelius Faber, a uh, research investigator in the Department of Clinical Radiology uh, at the University Hospital in Munster. Dr. Faber is an associate professor uh, at that institution, and he and his colleagues authored a, a novel uh, experimental paper entitled Highly Shifted Proton MR Imaging Cell Tracking Using Direct Detection of Paramagnetic Compounds. Welcome, Dr. Faber. Yeah, good morning. Good morning. Uh, the title is a mouthful. So, what is highly shifted proton MR imaging? I imagine most of our readers won't really be familiar with that term. Yeah, of course. It's, um, uh, it's a new term. It's a method for molecular imaging, and uh, we use um, uh, compounds, paramagnetic compounds with lanthanoid ions to shift the resonance of a particular contrast molecule which we can directly detect. So um, instead of detecting the tissue water, we create a resonance that has a large chemical shift, so a different frequency that we can detect separated from the tissue water, so identify uh, our labeled cells. So the idea you can see, the, see evidence of the cells directly, not by their effect on water as with other paramagnetic compounds, and presumably there's not a lot of background signal because you're highly shifted, is that correct? That's correct. So it's a bit mimicking fluorine MRI. Okay. We detect a complete heteronucleus, but here we detect um, still uh, hydrogen nuclei, which have a completely different frequency. Okay. No background. Now, is this a brand new technique? Did you and your group develop this technique originally, or has it been used uh, in, in other basic science investigations? Well, um, the use of paramagnetic uh, molecules goes back several decades, and the use of um, shifted resonances um, uh, has been uh, it has been used by, by by other groups as well. For example, it's the the basic of uh, the the paracest effect, the, the chemical exchange saturation transfer using paramagnetic compounds. Mm -hmm. um, but there, it is a completely different detection methods. Um, the great advantage that we have here is that we directly detect the shifted resonance by using, um, I think we will come back to that later, by this ultra-short echo time detection. Okay. And uh, how did you get the idea to try this for a potential research application in animal studies and presumably in the long run uh, in humans? So how is, what was the uh, what was the idea, the, uh, the lightning bolt that struck you? Well, actually, it developed over some time. Uh, we were part of a European consortium, which was called ENSIDE, the European Network for Cell Imaging and Tracking Expertise. Yes. And actually, with one of the co-authors, Silvio Aimé from Torino, we discussed during one of these consortium meetings. And um, we have done a similar thing with fluorine MRI, actually. We used fluorine resonance and use this in combination with paramagnetic compounds and then we developed the idea that we could directly use the hydrogen nuclei and since the, the context in this enzyme consortium was cell labeling, right. um, it was, was pretty obvious <laughs> that we tried to label cells. Well that makes sense, of course. Now, 
again, how different is this? So many people are familiar with magnetization transfer imaging, particularly in the brain, multiple sclerosis. Uh, how different is, is it from magnetization transfer imaging? So if you do magnetization transfer, you need the saturation and you basically measure a different signal. So right. this is um, most or, or often uh, prone to motion artifacts. So um, if you have the sensitivity limit, you need long, usually long acquisition times in animal experiments, um, and the, the motion artifacts can become pretty pronounced. I see. Here we directly detect the signal very much similar to what you do if you use fluorine as the contrast. All right. Now I noted in your uh, protocol, you use the so-called UTE, ultra-short uh, echo time imaging. Uh, why do you need that for this uh, application? Um, besides shifting the resonance, the um, lanthanoid ion, tullium as we use here, for example, has the effect of dramatically shortening the relaxation times. So you have very fast drop-off of the signal, but also a very fast T1 recovery of the signal. and. Um, not to lose all of the signal, you need to acquire very quickly after the excitation, so you need an ultra-short echo time. My understanding is the echo times are under 5 milliseconds? They are, yeah, somewhere, depending on the compound that you use, they are between 1 and, and 10 milliseconds. So you really need to go very fast, and this ultra-short echo time on exper experimental scanners can be in the microsecond range, and even on the clinical scanners, you can go down to 50 microseconds. Okay. And uh, to achieve this effect, which particular agents did you use in these experiments, and why did you choose them? Okay, so we used um, tullium dotma and dysprosium dotma, but also terbium dotma. Um, Dotma is the, uh, the chelating yes. ligand for the lanthanoid, which has um, four methyl groups, so it has a, a strong resonance that you can easily detect. That I was see. the reason for using this Dotma molecule. And we use the different lanthanoids because they have the largest shift they and the most favorable shift. relaxation effect. And are they very stable when they're bound to the chelate? Well, um, uh, Yes, but of course, <laughs> before we can go uh, into a clinical application, the compounds need to be improved. So the sure. study we'll, was so far purely preclinical. We'll talk about this a bit later. Now, in this particular uh, paper, what were the experiments that you did, and, and what did you find? Okay, well, of course, first we, we characterized the whole method, um, uh, and we found that we can reach very high detection specificity, of course, because we have no other background signal, so we can uniquely identify unambiguously the cells that we have labeled, or the yes. compounds, and we also found that, at least on the experimental scanner, we can go down to a concentration the detection limit below 100 micromoles wow. of the, the substance, and um, this led to the effect that we, well, we we labeled two different kinds of cells. We directly labeled tumor cells that we implanted into the mice and had a growing tumor. And we found that we can detect a few thousand of the tumor cells. And the other experiments where we labeled macrophages, bone marrow-derived macrophages from mice, um, uh, injected them or administered them um, systematically into the mouse while at the tail vein. Um, this mouse had a local um, inflammation where the 
bone marrow derived macrophages migrated to and we found that we can detect less than 1000 macrophages wow. accumulating at this local infection uh, inflammation and very very impressive uh, uh, now uh, I noted that in reading the study that the signal uh, from these labeled cells was detectable for one week uh, yeah. uh, why do you think it drops off what's actually happening when we lose the signal well, um, there are several processes going on. Of course, um, the cells try to get rid of uh, the agent that is in there. Um, so we have not completely uh, characterized the process of externalization of the cells. And of course, cells divide and um, some cells will undergo apoptosis probably. But um, I think that the, the most prominent effect is just dividing of the cells, so growth of the tumor. Yeah, so that's frequently with these cell labeling agents, that's a limitation because as they divide, as they divide the number of uh, labels per cell decreases and they uh, get below the detectability limit. So that's very understandable. Now, one thing I was very intrigued by, you mentioned that the technique might allow simultaneous uh, multi-frequency uh, imaging as is done with the fluorophores. Uh, how might this work? Um, so, so we have used already three different lanthanoid ions, um, terbium, dysprosium, and tullium, and they have dramatically different chemical shifts. So the tullium shifts about 100 ppm to the one direction, while dysprosium shifts 65 ppm to the other direction. Oh, okay. So there's a large frequency gap in between. Terbium is somewhere in the middle, and if you use other lanthanoids, you can create molecules with a very specific well-defined frequency shift and if you for example so the idea is that you could for example label stem cells with one kind of lanthanoid and um, let's say macrophages or um, other cells with other kind of uh, lanthanoids so we'll have two different frequencies which you can detect as two different colors very very interesting and so uh, you keep mentioning the lanthanides, and what about the safety? Uh, uh, is anything known about the safety of these agents? Tell us about that. Well, uh, in the paper, particularly in the supplementary material, uh, we have performed uh, a, a large array of viability tests and functionality tests of the, both for the tumor cells and the macrophages, and um, it showed that high concentration uh, so incubation concentrations above 20 millimolar, which is uh, high concentration, did not have significant, but at least there was a trend of uh, adverse effects. Mm -hmm. But if we used um, labeling concentrations of 10 millimolar, um, there was uh, at least no significant and uh, not even uh, clear trend towards uh, cell death or uh, adverse effects. And, and what do you think is happening with these doses? Is it the stability of the chelate and the dissociation of the lanthanides that is responsible for the toxicity? Well, um, we don't really know, so probably there's some very small percentage or degree of the lanthanoid that's diffusing off the chelates. Yeah. Um, but for the high concentration, the other issue is that at least the macrophages accumulate these, uh, these complexes very, very high molecular numbers, so they just might get overloaded. Yeah. Now, your study uh, was done at 9.4 Tesla, and then 
currently there aren't many clinical systems operating at that field strength and even 70 systems are unusual. So are there challenges in translating this to clinically used magnetic fields, uh, 3 Tesla or 1.5 Tesla? Of course, I think there are uh, three challenges. Of course, uh, first, uh, the frequency shift will be smaller, but uh, the frequency shift of 100 ppm is still at 3 Tesla so large that it can be easily separated, yeah. so this is not a problem. The um, second issue is that there's less detection sensitivity at lower magnetic field, of course, because the magnetization is lower. Um, but um, I think uh, that the sensitivity is high enough, so one can cope with that. And uh, the third point is that, of course, clinical scanners are not so high performant as experimental scanners. And but In I terms of their homogeneity? We still can reach um, echo times of okay. like 50 yeah. microseconds. For sure. I see. So uh, this is uh, fascinating original work. I mean, uh, we love to publish new ideas, but this is actually very, very new. So in your mind, what are the next steps? What, what, what do you and your group hope to accomplish in your efforts to further develop these techniques going forward? Yeah, well, we're very much interested in the basic concepts. Um, so we think about how to further improve the detection sensitivity, but it turned out that um, one point is indeed other substances. Mm -hmm. So the, our chemists here and our collaboration partners in Torino work on um, further uh, improving the compounds that we have, that we have even more favorable relaxation properties, higher shifts. And um, of course, one idea um, is to encapsulate these compounds so that we um, they stay yes. more isolated within the cell, but that the, the, the potential toxicity is reduced. Yes, uh, that certainly is done with a number of the other cell labeling uh, approaches. Now, uh, looking way in the future, assuming that you tackle these uh, hurdles, uh, what clinical applications do you envision? How, how might this be used uh, in uh, clinical medicine? Well, um, I mean, this is yeah, a question that uh, basically applies to all cell labeling techniques. I think uh, it may become a very powerful technique for clinical cell tracking. So generally, if you, one wants to perform uh, cellular therapies, mm -hmm. for example, applying stem cells to follow them over the first one or two weeks where the cells migrate. But of course, as you said, um, I think we have a long way to go and uh, to address the question of toxicity and uh, still further improve the detection sensitivity. Sure. Well, Dr. Faber, I really want to thank you first for a, uh, a wonderful uh, manuscript. Uh, we really, uh, I enjoyed reading it. And thanks for spending the time and sharing uh, some of your research thoughts with us. Yeah, thank you. We're very happy that uh, you were interested, you are interested in this manuscript, and we're very happy that it's published, and uh, I also appreciate very much this interview. Yeah, good. And for our, uh, our viewers and listeners, uh, Dr. Jeff Balti uh, actually wrote a, an accompanying science to practice that serves as a bit of an introductory primer on some of the concepts, and so I want uh, to point everyone's attention. Thank you very much, Dr. Faber. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Bye now. Yeah, thank you.
It was my pleasure.